Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. And so today we launch a new series by that name, Christ Above All, and we're looking together at just who Jesus is and what his life means for life. We want to see him as he is, and we want to see all that he is. And so we're taking time over the next several weeks to look together at the New Testament book of Colossians, and we'll be spending time there asking the question that everyone asked who ever met Christ. Everyone in the Gospels, we see them asking versions of this question. Everyone who genuinely meets him in the New Testament asks the question, just who is he and what does his life mean? Who is this? What does his life mean? Have you ever been in a room and, and someone walked in who just walked a certain way or had a certain air about them, a certain maybe confidence about them, and you couldn't help but reach over or lean over to your friend and say, who's that? Who's that? Or maybe when you, were, uh, when you first saw your your spouse or your fiance, you remember they walked into the room and you leaned over to somebody and said, hey, who's that? This is the uh, response. This is the reaction of people to Jesus. And, and in engaging Christ as he was, they were drawn to this question. So what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? For life, what does this mean for, for my life? Everyone who encounters him in the gospel, seriously, who takes a look at him, asks the question, asks this question, who is this Jesus and what does his life mean for our lives and for the life of the world? His life was so unique, so distinctive, so distinctly different in its quality, its character, that people couldn't help but ask this question. Who is this? And what does this mean? Now, this is all the more important for a couple of reasons. This was true back in the uh, beginning. It is true today. And, and, and this question is all the more important because here's the reality. Today, as well as in the first century, the second, and every century until the present, there have been a number of Jesus's versions of Jesus that have been offered. And uh, just as with the true Jesus, every version of Jesus comes with a gospel, a good news, and every gospel comes with a hope attached to it. It is a good news about a hope that we're being offered. When you come to faith in the true Christ, you find that you have said yes to him on the basis of the authentic gospel and what you receive from that authentic gospel is a living hope. Now, what has been true from the very beginning and what is true today is that there are and have been those who would say that the Jesus of the authentic gospel, the Jesus of the New Testament isn't, isn't enough. And uh, we need to adjust him. We need to amend him somehow. 
we like this part of Jesus, we don't like that part of Jesus, we like this, this aspect of him, and so they pick and choose and come up with a different Jesus. Now, when you do that, when you come up with a new version of Jesus, you get a new gospel, which then gives to you a new kind of hope. That's right. That's exactly right. This is, this is why I like you so much. It is because you catch on so quickly. Here we go. When you, depending on the version of Jesus that you have, you get a certain gospel, and on the basis of that gospel, you then have a certain hope. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. This is going to be an easy sermon to preach because you, you, all, you all are just so on it today, and I am so glad. I am so glad. We want to look, we want to dig down deep because, quite frankly, here's what uh, we want to do. In our culture, there are so many versions of Jesus. There are versions of Jesus that are being offered to us, not just outside of the church. We're getting all kinds of versions of Jesus offered to us within the church. And I wonder sometimes how well equipped we are to be able to distinguish between the Jesus that is and the Jesus of someone else's modification. And so I want to spend some time as a church family because I want us to be very clear on who the Jesus is that we follow, what the gospel is that he brings, and exactly what the hope is that he offers. Because in the end, whatever it is we live hoping for and putting our hope in is going to drive and determine the kind of lives that we live. So everyone in Sherwood Forest, everyone in Clemens, I want you to, to sit back with me and I want us to ask a question, particularly if we've made a personal faith commitment to Jesus Christ. I want us to ask today the question, who is the Jesus that I'm following? And then I want to ask a second question. I want to pursue a second question. If I have placed my faith in the Jesus of the New Testament and I have received the good news, the gospel about him, and my hope is resting in the hope that only he can give, am I being faithful to the faith that I'm being uh, called to profess? Am I being faithful to the Jesus that I profess? So who is the Jesus that I'm following? And if he is the Jesus of the New Testament and my faith is in him, am I being faithful to him? Those are the questions. That's what we want to pursue. So with you uh, this morning, I want to take my Bible. I want you to take your Bible. Turn with me to Colossians. We're going to be looking together at verses 1 through 8. You'll find that on page 983 in the worship Bibles provided for you as you came into the Sherwood Forest Worship Center or uh, the Bibles that are provided for you at Clemens underneath the seat in front of you or underneath your seat. 
Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, on page 983. Now, I want you to see with me before we launch into this, uh, the context in which this letter is actually written. Paul opens his letter to the Colossians with a word of affirmation and a word of encouragement. His affirmation is based upon a visit from a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras was one that Paul had led to Christ in another city. And uh, having come to faith in Christ and being transformed by Christ, Epaphras wanted to share Christ with the Colossians. And so he traveled to Colossae, shared Christ there. And by all indications, he was the one in sharing Christ led others to Christ, and helped form the church at Colossae. And so Paul is writing to the Colossians a word of affirmation based upon the report that he's received from Epaphras. Now, Paul, as he's writing, is writing from a Roman prison cell. Epaphras has gone to encourage Paul Epaphras has gone to strengthen Paul, and as he goes to see Paul, he quite naturally unpacks for Paul what is happening in his beloved Colossae. Now, Paul has never been to Colossae. He's never visited Colossae. He's never seen them face to face. So technically, we could say Paul doesn't really know the Colossians, and yet he affirms them, and he affirms them based upon this report of Epaphras. All the evidence that Epaphras lays out for the Colossians says that they've made a true faith commitment to the living Christ, that they have heard the true gospel, and they have put their hope in the hope that Christ has given. And so he speaks a word of affirmation to them, and, and that's encouraging to them, I'm sure. But all of the report of Epaphras is not necessarily a good one. Because Epaphras also says, Paul, I hate to say this, but there are some new teachers in town. And these new teachers are eloquent. They're dynamic speakers. They have visions. They have revelations. And they've come into Colossae saying that they have a new vision of Jesus. And their new Jesus is coming with a new gospel and is offering a new hope. And so Paul is incredibly concerned because he knows that without a true and full view of Christ, no one can be genuinely saved. But he also knows that without a consistent, true, and full view of Christ, even genuine believers can struggle with a full and, and an authentic devotion and loyalty to the Christ that is. Without a true and full view of Jesus, genuine believers can become more susceptible to accepting a wrong version, a wrong gospel, and suddenly begin living their lives out of the wrong hope. And so that is why Paul is writing as he is writing, and that is what he is about as he begins the letter, Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, 
where he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this hope you heard before in the word of truth which is called the what? gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, today I want to speak to you about the devotion to Christ that Christ uh, and his church deserve. I want to speak to you about the devotion to Christ and his church that Christ deserves. I'm not going to make the case to you today that the church of Christ it deserves your primary devotion, but I am going to make the case to you today that the Christ of the gospel and his church deserve your full devotion because of Christ, and there is a distinct difference. Here is the key challenge that the Colossians are facing. It is the key challenge that uh, believers their churches and the global church as well faces today. Ongoing devotion to the true Christ is, of course, linked to the experience of new life in Christ. And without a true and full view of the authentic Christ and his gospel and his hope, defection can easily replace devotion. Some of you will know and be aware of, some of you who watch these things will know that over the summer, Joshua Harris, a former pastor and author of a best-selling Christian book, walked away from his faith and said on Instagram that he was stepping away from his faith, that his faith was under deconstruction, which means he was falling away from it. Then a Hillsong songwriter and worship leader, Marty Sampson, posted that he too was losing his faith and then subsequently announced that he was leaving the faith he had professed and written about and sung about. It's a sad thing because the church from which he comes and Hillsong as a whole, it's the songs that they produce typically are simple, heartfelt lyrics pledging undying love and devotion to Christ. And so Harris is falling away and Samson's falling away from, his, from their faith in Jesus was, and it is a shock, but it isn't something that is new. Throughout history, we see the same thing happening again and again. And as our culture changes and as our culture grows less and less tolerant of biblical Christianity, we're seeing the same pattern. Why? Well, there are one of two reasons, I think. 
There are, of course, some who never knew the true Jesus who say they knew the true Jesus. That is to say, they made a commitment of faith to a Jesus that was not the New Testament Jesus. And we'll talk more about this through our series, but there are all kinds of uh, Jesuses that are often offered. The Jesus who is my boyfriend, the Jesus who is my cheerleader. And if I put my faith in the wrong Jesus, when the pressure comes and I've accepted a wrong gospel and I've put my hope in the wrong place, I'm not going to stand firm. At the same time, there are some who have put their genuine faith in the Christ of the New Testament and they have put their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for them. But because somewhere along the way, their family didn't train them, their church didn't train them, and families and, and churches have to work together in the training of children, in, in the truth of the gospel. It, somewhere along the way, the family or the church or both failed them, and they didn't really get much farther past in terms of the gospel, understanding that what they did was invite Jesus into their heart and say they were sorry for their sins. Their hope was somehow in Jesus, but they couldn't really articulate it. And when an alternative Jesus comes or when an anti-Jesus comes and challenges their view of Jesus, they fall away. There was nothing to really anchor them. Now, if you're a genuine believer, you will come back to him. That I believe. But we're seeing more and more that it's not just the Harrises and the Samsons that are leaving the church. It's our own kids. They're in our youth group. They're, they're the kids raised in church. And they say they believe in, in the real Jesus, but because we didn't give them a solid anchoring in the gospel and didn't help them to understand the reason for the what? Hope. Boy, you're good. Hey, can you all keep coming back? Because this is just, you're making my job so much easier. Where was I? Hope. Well, I know I'm at hope, but... Oh, the reason for the hope. If we don't give them the reason for the hope that they have, then it will seem like there is no reason. And that professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill or at Wake Forest or at Virginia Tech or at App State or wherever, will help them find their way away. Either way, the faith they professed didn't produce the faithfulness and loyalty that Christ deserves. But here, here's, here's the truth. You don't have to step away from your faith you don't have to deny your faith to have the same problem. 
One of the recurring issues for believers is the fact that the faith they say they have doesn't produce the faithfulness that Christ deserves. There are a lot of us who have been taught what is effectively an untruth, or I might even say a lie, that all you have to do is receive the Jesus of the New Testament and, and affirm the Jesus of the New Testament, affirm the gospel of the New Testament, receive the hope of the New Testament, and you're good. You're done. That all you effectively have to have is a true faith. But the New Testament teaches us that true faith is meant to produce a living faithfulness. That when we come to faith in the true authentic Christ, we have received the authentic gospel and put our hope in the hope that the gospel offers that what is meant to come out of our lives is a faithfulness to that Christ, to that gospel, to that hope. But a lot of us have been told, no, 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 no. This is all you need. This is all you need. Now, that is all you need for heaven to be your home. But there's something more that you and I need for us to hear when we stand before the one who welcomes us, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in those little things. What little things? Those little things, you know, the little things. Your time. You've been faithful in those little things. What little things? Your family. You've been faithful in those little things. Like what little things? Your marriage. You've been faithful in those little things. What little things? Your money. Now, God, money's big. Yeah, I'm letting you feel how big it is. It's big. You've been faithful in little things. Come, I'm going to make you responsible for some greater things. And by the way, he says, enter into the joy of your master. Did you know that there are going to be some people who have joy in heaven and others don't? There are going to be some who what they get is a warm welcome. Who doesn't want that in heaven, right? What's the alternative? A different kind of warm welcome. <laughs> Just hit me, that's good. Hope you all appreciate that, it sure would. <laughs> so yeah, a warm welcome in heaven is a good thing. But the joy comes in heaven from having a faithful life to give to a faithful Savior.
Wow, we haven't even gotten to the sermon yet, have we? We better move. So we're asking the question today, what brings lasting faithfulness to Christ? The Christ of the New Testament, the Christ of the gospel. And what we find here is that Paul in these opening verses shows us what faithfulness is, and then he shows us what faithfulness needs, and then he shows us how faithfulness remains. And uh, true to the recent pattern of your pastor, today we're only going to get to the first one. But I want us to look at it together this morning. Are you ready? Second, am I? No, Colossians. I've been in Second Corinthians for my time of prayer and fasting and all of that, but we're in Colossians chapter one. Let's take a look at this. What is faithfulness? Paul says again, beginning at verse one of Colossians one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, key word, and faithful brothers, key phrase, in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Now, I want you to notice with me as we begin, as we hear this opening greeting, what we might not notice immediately is that Paul's description of the, Corinth, of the Colossian believers is unusual. He calls them saints, that's normal, but then he goes on and he calls them faithful brothers, faithful brothers and sisters. This is most unusual and, and quite instructive. Saints, of course, are not deceased individuals who have been canonized by the church and given sainthood. The term is used in the New Testament to describe living individuals whom God has called to himself in the gospel, whom God has, by their faith in the gospel, set apart for himself as his people. They are saints, called out ones, set apart ones. And so he has taken them set them apart from the world, and he has devoted them to himself and dedicated them to himself. He says to them in Christ, I am yours. Now you are mine. You are a saint, called out, set apart, dedicated to my worship, dedicated to my work, the life that I give you. Now, that's true of every single believer. Paul says that to virtually every church he writes to, and it is because it's true. But what he says next is not something he says to every church. In fact, he only says it to one other church, and that's the church at Ephesus. He calls them faithful brothers. This is a term that uh, Paul uses sparingly. He uses it when it comes to people of Timothy, of Epaphras, of a slave named uh, Onesimus. And when it comes to churches, only Ephesus, only Colossae. So Paul is indirectly showing us the truth that while all believers are saints, not all true saints are faithful. 
And when Paul says the Colossians are saints and faithful brothers in Christ, he's saying that they are what every believer should be and what every believer could be. Every person, watch now, devoted and dedicated by God to himself in Christ can and should devote and dedicate themselves to him in return. All can, but not all do. The Colossians stand out because they've not only made a decision for Christ, but they've come to practice a life of deliberate commitment, of deliberate allegiance, of deliberate attachment to Christ. They've gone, write this down if you're taking notes, they've gone, undergone a total reorientation of their lives around Christ. A total reorientation of their lives around Christ. A total reorientation of their lives around Christ. And we must go on and say his finished work on the cross. And so rather than choosing to follow a Christ that suits their lives, a Christ that suits their desires like the Galatians seem to have done, the Colossians have chosen to redefine their lives to suit Christ, to suit his desires. Do you see the difference? I don't choose the Jesus of all the versions that I'm offered. Saying, I like that Jesus. I like that Jesus. But I intentionally going to the New Testament, going to the scripture saying, not I like that Jesus, I need that Jesus. And I am going to intentionally center my life on this Jesus, no other. This gospel, no other. This hope, no other. See, we've, a lot of us were taught that the gospel is just for the beginning of our lives. It has nothing to do with the rest of our lives. Paul would not comprehend that for a moment. He, he wouldn't understand that for a moment. I've tried to come up with a way to explain this. And uh, I wish I had come up with this sooner because I came up with it like last night. And I was tempted to text the staff and put them all in mayhem to make this happen. But Staples was closed, so I, there's no reason for the mayhem. But I want you to do something with me because I want you to get, get a feel for this reorientation. The gospel is not just for the beginning. The gospel is for all of life. Okay, here we go. Here we go. You ready? You ready? I want you to picture with me three six-foot tall white poster board pieces. Boy, you can't make that any more complicated, can you? I want you to picture three of those with me, will you? Here is what the Colossians did. Now, I want you to picture with me in the first one, the word since, and then I want you to picture a cross. Since, and then a cross. And then I want you to picture the second board reading across the top, then, the word then. Since the cross, then this. Since that, the cross, then this. Watch. 
Paul is saying that when you have come to a faith in Jesus Christ, what Jesus expects is that you will always start here before you move here. You say, Steve, I don't, I'm not getting you. Stay with me. You'll get it. You're smart. All right, here we go. Since the cross, since Christ's finished work on the cross for me, since, since the freedom from sin, the brokenness, since he's broken the power of sin, since he took my place on the cross. Are you tracking with me? Since the cross, then, this is where we begin, since the cross, then a cross. Jesus said, come, and then Jesus said, you take up a cross and follow me. That is the first model of how we are to live our lives. Because of the cross, a cross. Because of the cross of Jesus and his sacrifice, I accept and I orient my life with him at the center. I accept sacrifice for him. Does that make sense? Since the cross and because of the cross, the next one, a church. He's put me in a family. And because of this, therefore this. I am part of the body of Christ. That's why I'm in worship. It's why I'm in a small group. It's, it's why I'm serving. It's why I'm, I'm serving with others in the body of Christ. It is not because it's what somebody expects me to do. It's because of this that I do this. And it is because of this that I have this kind of marriage. It is because of this that I have this kind of relationship with my children. It is because of this that I have this kind of relationship with my coworkers at BB&T. It is because of this that I have this kind of relationship with my neighbors. It is because of this that I spend my money like this. It is because of this that I invest my time like this. It is because of this that I use my gifts and abilities like this. I knew you'd get it. I knew you'd get it. Whoo, I'm getting a workout. <laughs> All right. Everything in life, in a faithful life, is oriented around this. Do you see? See, 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 some, some of us, because we, we bought into this idea, just, just have faith in Jesus and then hang on for heaven. <laughs> Jesus has become kind of like a box. We check off and he's all, okay, I got Jesus, I got travel ball, I got golf. Now I'm going to really make some people mad. I've got knitting. <laughs> crochet. See, when a pastor starts to wimp out, he mentions knitting and crochet. <laughs> that's not a faithful Christian life. Sunday's for Jesus, Monday's for me, Tuesday's for him. So that's not how the Christian life works. It's since this, Then this, in every single area of 
my life. So the Colossians have have made this decision for Christ that they've come to practice a life of deliberate commitment and allegiance and attachment to Jesus. It totally reorients, he totally reorients their lives. And who they are and how they live are for them defined by the good news of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he has done. And it is in this way that they've become exceptionally faithful. This is how we come to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But, but the issue is, how do we pursue it? Well, faithfulness begins with understanding how faith becomes faithfulness. I've given you a hint, but I want you to notice in verses 3 and 4 a fascinating explanation of this. After he affirms that the Colossians are uniquely faithful, Paul goes on to tell them how thankful he is to the Father for the report he's received about two commitments that they display with their lives. Faith in Jesus Christ and love for all of God's people. Faith in Christ becomes faithfulness when the commitment is made and lived out to keep trusting in Christ and to keep loving his people. Faith in Christ becomes faithfulness when the commitment is made and lived out to keep loyal to Christ and to keep loving his people. So when Paul says he's thankful for their commitment of faith in Christ, he's not merely referencing their conversion experience and he's not saying he's thankful about what they believe about Christ, even though this is vitally important because you have to start with the Christ that is, not the Christ that you want. He's speaking about their persistent living with a firm devotion, a firm dedication, a steadfast loyalty to Christ, a state of of steadfast allegiance to and affection for Christ who has made them, the Christ who has made them his own. It is this loyalty to Christ that says, by God's grace, God helping me, I will allow nothing and no one to come between me and Jesus. It's the same kind of devotion and loyalty that we want in marriage, where a husband says to his wife, by God's grace, I will allow no other person to come between me and you. Right? That's what we want, right? At least most people do. (laughs) Evidently, you're different. Loyalty. You are mine I am yours, and I will not allow anyone else to come between you and me. That's what you want, right? There, I knew I was going to get you guys. Yeah. This is what Christ wants. And I want to say this is what Christ deserves. Nothing coming between him and you.
faith in Christ becomes faithfulness when the commitment is made and lived out to be loyal to Christ. But notice the second thing, to keep loving his people. And this love for others is a deep commitment to serve others who belong to Jesus and to love them with a love that meets their needs. Listen to me, please. Will you listen? Faithfulness to Christ shows up then in an unswerving loyalty to Christ and his word and his ways and in an unswerving love for his church, his imperfect, messy, irritating, loving, grace-showing, beautiful, Christ-reflecting, Christ-denying church. And this loyalty to Christ and this love for his people are expressed in a faithful life, not, just, not in just conviction, but in action. So this is what faithfulness looks like. This is what allows Christ finally to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. It is a loyalty to Jesus. I don't want anything but Christ. And a love for his people, even when they disappoint us. I'm running out of time. But we got a real problem. We Americans, we've got a problem. How many Americans do we have here? Oh, we got some guests from out of the country. Okay. Uh, how many Europeans? Yeah, I'm, I don't have time for that, do I? No. We got a problem. Because we Americans are so consumeristic and so individualistic that we think being faithful to Christ is the same thing as being faithful to ourselves. And so what we see in America are people who are constantly traveling churches, traveling churches, traveling churches, traveling churches. As long as they get what they want, they stay. As soon as they don't, they leave. And the church really isn't the family that it should be. It's more like Home Depot. If you got what I want on aisle 42B, and the coupling is what I seem to always need. I'll keep coming. But if you run out of those couplings, I'm going to Lowe's. Now, I get it when we leave churches that aren't preaching the gospel and aren't, aren't, aren't pointing to the right Jesus or when a church has just gotten so healthy and dysfunctional that it's not healthy for you to be there. I, I get that. Sometimes you have to leave your dysfunctional family behind. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But what I am saying is that there are two marks of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. 
One is a loyalty to him. While it's not perfectly expressed, I don't perfectly express it. You're not going to perfectly express it. There is this fire in you. There is this passion in you that says, I will allow nothing to come between me and Jesus. And we say to the body of Christ, there is nothing you can ever do to make me stop loving you. Our church is full of irritating people. Look at the pastor. Two thousand seven, twenty-three. South Korean missionaries were captured by the Taliban. Separated, everything was taken from them. One lady, I don't know how she did it, happened to keep a Bible hidden. When she had the opportunity, she tore the Bible into twenty-three different sections. And when she had the chance, she passed them out to the other 22. The lead pastor overheard the Taliban saying that they were going to begin killing them one at a time. And he went to the Taliban leadership and said, if you're going to start killing us, you need to start with me. because I'm not going to, to deny Christ and I love his people. I think there's a name for that. What is it? Faithfulness. That's not the, the rest of the story. There was an older man who was also a pastor who was with him and he said, no, you cannot be killed first. I must be killed first. And he said, brother, why? He said, because I'm also a pastor and I'm older than you are. <laughs> ah, but the younger pastor said, you haven't been ordained. I mean, talking about, talk about seminary wars and fighting. <laughs> you haven't been ordained. Before they were rescued, three of them were killed, and the very first one was the younger pastor. Because, my friends, that's what faithful followers of Jesus do. They follow the Jesus who gave his life for them on a cross. They put their trust in his finished work on Calvary's tree. They find in him their living hope. And because he is their living hope, they are willing to give money and time, their treasure. They're willing to roll up their sleeves and go to work to serve other believers. They're willing to care for the poor and the broken. Because they know that everything that's here, this is just small stuff. It's not the big stuff. 
we think it is. The beauty of the grace of God is he takes all of our sacrifice of small stuff. He receives it as a gift. (laughs) And he says, well done. I have some joy for you. And by the way, now I'm going to give you some bigger stuff. Father God, oh, that we would pray as Paul prayed. Oh, that we would rejoice in the fact that others are saints. Oh, that we would rejoice in the faithfulness we see coming from others. Oh, Father, that we would marvel at and model and pray for each other that we might be found loyal to your son and loving each other as we should, anchored as it is in the living hope of a Savior who has died, been raised, ascended to heaven, and is coming again for us to receive us to himself. Oh, Father, that you would find us faithful loving the lost in their brokenness, loving the poor in their neediness, and loving each other in our imperfections. Oh, Father, that we would know the true and living God in the New Testament, Jesus. And oh, Father God, since the cross, we would live bearing one. And so, cause you at the end of time to find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? So as we come to this time of response... I want to ask you, first, have you put your faith in the Jesus of the New Testament? Have you put your faith in the good news about him? The the good news is this, God knows that our world is broken and in need of a rescue. And he knows that the brokenness of our world is caused by our own sin, that the world is messed up because of Steve Kortz and because of you and billions of others like you and me. But he promised that one day he would make all things right, that one day he would heal our broken world, that one day he would make a way for our broken lives to be healed. He knew we couldn't do it ourselves, and so he sent his son because he knew his son could bring the healing 
that we needed. And the Jesus of the New Testament is the very Son of God taken on the human form, living a life that pleased God from beginning to end. No failure, no sin. The very life that he was looking for, for from you and me that we, he never got. He, he found it. In the life lived by his son and on the basis of his sinless life, made his own son to bear our sin and the penalty for it, which is death. In raising him, God said, I accept his payment. It is now paid in full. So whoever will receive my risen son and accept his finished work on the cross for them, they're going to become my saints, my people. And I'll give them life abundant now, and I will give them life eternal. And while they're living faithfully and loyally to my son and loving each other, I'm going to give them a hope, and the hope is this, that one day my son is going to come back for them. He is their living hope. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not a happy family. It's not a great marriage. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not the deal. It's the ultimate healer coming to gather his children and give them the ultimate healing. And if you never received the gift of God in Jesus, the real Jesus, the real gospel, the real hope, today is your day. Today is your day to come to Jesus. I want to invite our prayer partners to come. Look at folks, if you discover today you, your need of him, he's ready to give himself to you. I invite you to come. To every believer who today you look at your life and you see true faith, but you're not seeing faithfulness as God defines it, not as you define it, as he defines it. My appeal to you is cry out to him and ask him why and what has come between you and Jesus that you aren't living faithfully and why and what has cost you to make less of your brothers and sisters in Christ instead of loving them? What has caused you to live with your hope somewhere else other than in the one who is coming again for you? 
Ask the team to come and lead us. The altar is open. You can come and pray. We have folks to come and pray with you. You come as we sing this song of affirmation. Now, I want you to notice as we sing it, it is all centered on the finished work of Christ and the Christ who is coming again. Let's sing. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.